לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. last week, the staff week. This is the first week of our all the Chanichim. We want to say a special, a special Shabbat Shalom to all of the new and returning campers at Machan in the Berkshires, where we started this Parsha talk, I guess, we think about 10 years ago, and I'm wearing the shirt, Thou Shalt Watch Parsha Talk, okay, which can be yours for, I don't know, $35 if you want one. We'll have to send you the with me, my good friends, Rabbi Barry Chesler, who was also at camp for a lot of years. Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanowski, who was at camp for a lot of years, but not as much as Barry and me. Not as not as much as you guys. But I have this I have this this little little mala in my corner. Hello, Shia. Hello, Delia. If you hear me on on Korama Me Ustaim Shalosh FM. As you walk by the Chadar Ochel, wishing you a good Shabbos, and I love you. You still have kids there. Oh, you know, Barry and I, we graduated, I guess. But I miss I, it. You I miss it. Kesher, and Odelia is a counselor in Bulgreen. Unbelievable. We miss it so much. We want to be there, and we are so happy for all of the Chanichim who are there, especially those from our respective communities. Shout out to Highland Park. New Jersey people and Machanerama. Barry, shout out to the Shakhtar community Shakhtar of Long community, Island. All of whom are special. And of course, the entire Machane is special to us, as is the Torah and as is this amazing <laughs> Parsha. This amazing Parsha. Korach. Before we start Korach, okay, I just want to get the emotions out, okay? And, and maybe to just start, before we get to that, I want to say we are. We're at a moment, the, the, the crisis in the desert has happened already. I could, I could describe it as a great rupture. The, the episode with the scouts, the spies, happened last week. They went, they, they reported. This was a, a moment of, of real crisis. And from that moment, we have Israel essentially sentenced into the des- in the desert to die in the desert, for uh, the the complete period of forty years, it will be another thirty years before uh, the the terminus of of this generation. Uh, so so we are starting on a kind of sad note, and then the parsha begins, and we're going to do this a little differently. We're going to look at it, you know, inside the text, verse by verse. Vayikach Korach ben Yitzhar ben Kahat ben Levi v'Datan v'Aviram ben Elivav v'On ben Pelet ben Eruven. So. We are introduced to the, the, the character of Korach. So uh, the, the text says, Korach, son of Yitzhar, son of Kahat, son of Levi. Question number one, so who is Korach? And question number 1a, what's his relationship to Moses? Question 1b, who are these people, the Tanaviram, Eliav, and On? And, and, and then 
question really too is what's bothering them so let's just identify the players here on this drama this i think it's like an opera here if 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 i had the talent i would i would write the opera korach versus moses or korach i guess barry i want to start with you so please identify korach for us and tell us his relationship to moses and and maybe flesh out you know you know if we could we could find what's bothering him so korach is the first cousin of moshe Moshe, as we know, is the great leader of B'nai Israel. He is a Levite by family, a great-grandson of Levi, the patriarch of the tribe. And Korach also is a great-grandson of Levi. Just and, so to clarify, there are three main families of uh, the Levites. Right? So Gershom, Merari, and Kahat. This is the Kahati branch. Um, and Kahat had, I think, four sons. I can't remember offhand, and Moses is the son of Amram, and Korach is the son of Yitzhar. And I think that, you know, one of my favorite fields of inquiry is the medieval British history. I love the monarchy and how different things played out. And one is often reminded in that period of time that being born second is not a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> um, and may actually be a, a liability. And when you are born into a family where primogeniture is the only way to succeed, when you're second best, the only way that you could get to be number one is through death. Um, sometimes one that's hastened by human hand, sometimes illness, sometimes accident, whatever it might be. And the problem is that if we grant Moses his right to be leader as being chosen by God, it is kind of curious from a sociological point of view that the next most important person in the community is his older brother. That seems to be nepotism. And even though we could dress it up and say, well, the God that chose Moses also chose Aaron, that doesn't always sit so well on the ground. You have one guy he's in charge, we accept that, but why is his brother the next in charge? Just before we continue with that idea, so there, Korach is not the only person in this cohort. Uh, Jeremy, talk about the others. <coughs> Excuse me for a little coughing there. Uh, I happen to be, after two and a half years, just tested positive for COVID. I'm fine. Uh, I know you're all worried about me, but... We are worried about you. Uh, I, I really, it's just a mite. It's really... I've been very lucky. I know, obviously... You only are, have half of the virus. <clears throat> I have a vibe. Not the whole virus, just the vibe. Co and not oh, vid. Vid. Um, uh, just, uh, I know people have been, of course, been very sick. I've been blessed. That's not, not true for me, but forgive my coughing. So anyway, the um, the uh, this story is an excellent example, um, you know, how about how academic Bible scholarship recognizes that sometimes two things have been stitched together. Okay. Um, two, two sources maybe have been put into a single story. And this is one of the parade examples. And if people want to read um, the book, Who Wrote the Bible by Richard Elliott Friedman, this is one of his parade examples, that you have two stories which have kind of been stitched into one. One of them is about the Levite rebellion of Moshe's first cousin, as, as Barry said. But there's another kind of people and another set of people who are a little bit displaced um, uh, in the course of, of Israel in, in their journey. And that is the physical firstborn, as, as Barry said, 
you know, um, physical firstbornhood typically in many societies, like I just think about, I just think about, you know, Prince George and his younger brothers, <laughs> younger brothers, younger sisters, like, yeah, big brother's going to be the king one day. What? What do you mean? That's not fair. Um, but um, the other people who are upset are B'nai Reuven. Reuven is the firstborn of Jacob. And earlier in the uh, book of Bamidbar, there was a kind of a, a, a substitution that the first set of people who were supposed to work in the temple and do all the, the ritual stuff were the physical firstborns. And, and they were replaced by the Levite clan. So you have the Levites who think that the Kohanim atop the rest of the Levim doesn't seem fair. And then you have the other story of, of Datan Vaviram and On Ben Pellet. They're from like another uh, uh, set of people who might have a claim to power and they've been displaced by the Levite clan. So I think that the Torah, generally speaking, has this, has this inclination to tell a story about um, uh, people who deserve by dint of their gifts, their charisma, their skill, not their birth, not their position um, to take leadership. The people who get displaced are naturally unhappy about it. And we can say Moses and Aaron, that's who God chose. That's terrific. But you can certainly understand <laughs> uh, exactly as, as Barry said, you can understand why people on the ground might think the fix is in. This is not fair. It's interesting. You know, I, I don't have very many associations with Kahat and, and that line through, uh, from Levi, other than, you know, what the, their labor portion was in the transportation of the Mishkan. But but we do have many associations with Ruvain, and Ruvain does not uh, comport himself well in the Joseph stories. He, he looks pretty much like a fool. Uh, he also tried to usurp his, uh, his father's position in, in that often read, but seldomly translated part <laughs> where he sleeps with his father's concubine so we have we have four right, but yeah Elliot, you have to also mention though and uh, Ruvain does not comport himself well but Shimon and his brother Levi are also guilty of of a massacre of I mean, mass murder shall we say and yeah. Levi seems to be able to be resurrected Levy, okay, so so we we could leave that that uh, discussion for another time. But Levy, you know, has maybe when we get to Pinchas, we'll talk about zeal. And Levy seems to have a, a, an, a an extraordinary talent for for the zeal. So we have four principles here: Korach, Datanaviram, and On. I, we know nothing about On. Okay, um, his, name, his name means On. Okay. And next verse, they go before Moses, uh, and, uh, and and there are men of the the the, the children of Israel, two hundred and fifty So two hundred and fifty machers, two hundred fifty important people are also in this course. So now we're not talking about just four principles; we're talking about you know a whole shul's worth. <laughs> of people. I mean, my shuls, we said about 400. So imagine you have 250 people, 254 people, and you're Moshe, and, and people, and they, they, they're coming at him. And, and I, it's not like 
Well, next verse. They're coming after Moshe and Aaron. And they say to them, Rav Lachem, translate. It's too much for you, right? Or are they going, Rav Lachem, Rav, are they, are they, is it a protest movement or is it a, on behalf of the delegation of 254 people, we are. I, I read it as um, maybe a little bit more Tony Soprano. I think you, I think uh, you know neither Ha'am Doresh do that like the people demand social justice, and it's not like you know no justice no peace. It's more the a veiled threat. Like I think you've been accumulating a little bit too much power here, Mister Moses. No, you got a nice people here. Shame if something happened to it. You know, so so I'm not sympathetic to Korach and the cohort, but. For the sake of of study and for the sake of you know building the community and listening, does he have a point? Is there is there can we give Korach a, a little bit of credit? Can he is he is he justified? And and under under what grounds? And, and maybe it's a broader question, which is at some you know a leader and you know whether it's in the political realm or in the religious realm, you know it's very rare that there's unanimity behind the leader, okay? We were talking so, about, about Lincoln, the greatest president, okay? FDR, you know, among the top. Um, and, and both of those presidents and many, many others who are well-loved and beloved had significant oppositions. In fact, Lincoln, you know, had an opposition that, that you know, he paid for with his life. I, Barry, I, I, you're inclined to this kind of, you know, thinking about is the pro is it is it natural to to have unanimity or wh- wh- where would you you know? So I, I think it's instructive this week, especially when many of us are thinking about the Supreme Court. To recall, John Marshall was the first great Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, and in the beginning years of his very long tenure, he insisted that there be unanimous verdicts of the court. And for many, many years, all the opinions were unanimous. And as we know, ultimately, that did not last. Even under Marshall's tenure, some of the great decisions were not unanimous. And I think that we often think that in a body politic, that there needs to be unanimity. But what's more important for a body politic is for people who disagree with each other to learn how to live with each other because we can't be kicking people out every time we disagree with them, or if we're on the losing side, be kicked out ourselves. And the other thing I wanted to say here is that we lose sight sometimes of the the great beauty of the language of the Torah. So the 250 men are called Nasi'im, and their complaint about Moses and Aaron is that they titnasu, they lifted themselves up above people who are already lifted up, in order to take power, which for the rebellious people, what we call rebellious people, they did not have the right to. And I think that, you know, as we were discussing before the show began, that living in the present, there's always a great deal of uncertainty because we don't know how the story is going to turn out. And the credit that we give Korah is that people are not necessarily happy and they need a way to channel their discontent. 
whether Korach chose the best way to channel that discontent, perhaps is there is room for argument, but that people have to be able to protest in some meaningful way, I think is beyond dispute. Well, I mean, so, so if you would want a peaceful resolution to this story, uh, you know, what, what would you have created a parliament? Would you have created a, an assembly and, and put, you know, Moses in the governing party and Korach in the opposition? I mean, because, because, the, you know, the, the text and then the tradition, you know, tr- truly uh, elaborates on this. Korach doesn't come out well here. It, it, this is uh, demagoguery. This is, uh, he is only interested in, uh, himself and not the 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 future of the people i think that his basic argument needs to be addressed it's a political argument why are you the leaders of our community and the answer is because god chose us korach though is a member of the elite he's not interested in the people that he represents he's interested in power in other words it would have been a better claim for him i think to say we have 12 tribes. Let's choose one person from one of these other tribes to be leader. But instead, he himself is from a privileged tribe, and he's just quarreling with Moses because in the world of privilege, he's second best. But what about the other 11 tribes? If we just, and that would be the Ruvenite argument, I think. Well, here we are also from a privileged tribe. The, the the 250 are representatives of the other tribes, no? Well, they're in the Siyim, though. So, so they, the question is, how, how do we want to read that? Are the, they members of Amcha? Or are they, again, the privileged elite within the system? And here know, it's... I think of, of you know, what, what would have been necessary behind the scenes prior to this delegation? Before, it, it's... It it the Torah makes it out to to look spontaneous, but you know you just don't you just don't bring two hundred fifty notables into the central square of your camp uh, without without kind of messaging somehow. You know, you know, there, there has to be some kind of conspiracy here going on. I'd like to uh, you know run run a, a couple of you know maybe odd angles on this. One is. Um, you know, we're accustomed to saying, you know, there's 600,000 men and 2 million people and 250 people, like, big deal, right? Like, you, you can wait that one out. This is not like, uh, you know, this is not like, uh, uh, you know, uh, a million people are, get, are, are mass at the White House gates. Although may, maybe we say that the, com- the comparable numbers are like, you know, whatever. How, how, how many people were there on January 6th? Like 5,000 or something like that? In, in the scope of the United States, it's not very big. Breaking windows at the Capitol—it's a really big deal. Um, maybe, maybe we think of it like that. Um, maybe we think of this as, you know, in, in a good, you know, Marxist kind of way. It's the it's the uh, the haute bourgeoisie who are rebelling against the the feudal powers, right? Like the people that the the people who have some power are rebelling against the people who have lots of power, but none of it touches the people who don't have almost any power. But the uh, the other thing I was going to say is that uh, there's there's an idea in anthropology, and we, you know, we talk about it sometimes with respect to Purim, that cultures need moments of subversion. That cultures like it just pressure builds up, pressure builds up, and you need safety valves to re- release some of the pressure, and so you have these carnivals. Like this is a feature of European 
society. It's a feature of like tribal societies. The anthropologist Victor Turner wrote about this and, and used the, the term communitas. There are moments when normal social structures break down and people who seem to have power, power less, seem people who seem powerless, get to act like, like, like they're in charge. And the, the king becomes the fool, the fool becomes the king. Um, in Jewish tradition, we have the Purim Rav tradition, like the, 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 the dummy in town gets to be, gets to act like the rabbi. And I feel like at some level, one of the things that's going on is a, is a communitas kind of moment that Karaf is exploiting the, the natural question. Moshe is the great leader, he's the greatest leader, he's the greatest Jew who ever lived. Actually, we want Moshe to be the leader. And even if Moshe is the leader, sometimes you get mad at the leader because, you know, there's just a kind of social pressure that's going to build up and, and people need to lead, let off steam about their own feeling of being marginalized or passed over. And so even though Korach, I think, is, you know, a manipulative, nasty guy, um, I think that there, that there are um, uh, things in his, in his rhetoric that don't sound right. Um, I also think that he gives voice to some thumbing your nose at the power structure that is inherently healthy, if limited. The Kutzka Rebbe, famously called... <laughs> the, the, called Korach, Unzer he's, he's our holy grandfather because he gave, he gave a shtach to the uh, power structure and he released something that might be channeled, may, an energy that might be channeled in a good way. Okay, so, so there, there is some legitimacy <laughs> to his claim that people are going to be wandering. They, people have no future. These people are going to die in the desert. Um, there is a vulnerability at this moment with in, in Moses and Aaron, the leadership, the leadership has failed them. Or we're going to, don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but, but um, Moses, his reaction, by Paul Al-Panavi falls on his face. How we read that is, is a subject to many, many different interpretations. And then he challenges, by he speaks to Korach and the cohort and saying, Boker, tomorrow morning, and God will make known who is his, Betakadosh be kriv elav, who will be brought near to him? Vet asher yifcharbo ya kriv elav, and and who the chooses will be coming close. Zot asu kichu lachem machtot korach v'chol adato. This is what you need to do. Everyone, take your fire pans and put fire in them. Put incense in them. You come and we'll see. Now, if we are attentive to the biblical precedent, we know that this is a very strong challenge because the last time someone else tried to put a strange fire uh, in their fire pan, they were incinerated. So this is a really a mortal challenge. Everything is on the line here. Um, and, uh, and, and so that, that is going to happen. Um, we get uh, a, a moment. I want to just fast forward to Datan and Aviram, who uh, they refuse to come before the tent of meeting. Uh, and they make the following statement: Lo na'ale, we're not coming. Hamad ki elitanu mi'aretz avad chalav udvash was it, you know, hamat? Uh, was it was it no big deal? Was it no big deal that you took you took us out of the land flowing of of, of milk milk and honey? In other words, you took us out of Egypt, the land flowing with milk and honey. La mitenu bamidbar to make us die in the desert. Kiti starer aleinu gamdi starer, and you're going to lord over us too. And they continue and say, "Aflo alert, sabat chalabu dvashavita." You didn't bring us into the land of milk and honey. Vatitan lano nachalat zadevakar. You didn't give us a field and a vineyard. 
You're going to poke out our eyes? And we're, you know, we're not coming. Poke out our eyes is a reference to, to enslavement. It's a, it's a lovely uh, digression, which we won't get to. But here, look at, look at, I mean, this is, this is the shtach. This is the punch in the gut. God, in, the, in these Bible passages, the one thing that is guaranteed to make God mad is, let's just go back to Egypt. You know, Egypt was better. Let's let's turn around. The the powerful vibe is throughout these stories is I've put you on a path towards something incredibly noble, important, your destiny. And when people say, hey, destiny, I would like some melons, please. When I sat by the Nile, there was melons, there was garlic. Fish. All I had to do was stick my my net down in the Nile and I had lots of fish. I, that's more important to me than this difficult circumstance. And that, that just enrages God and raises emotion and should enrage us, right? So yes. when, when, when they say, you took us out of the land where we really belong, that's just the worst betrayal ever. It, it just... And, and, and the reaction, of course, says it all, right? Moshe is angry. I mean, do you, do you say that he, he loses it here? He just, he loses it. He's well, angry. no, I, I think you have to be fair to Moshe, that anger is not always an intemperate response to a situation. Okay. And sometimes it's good to be angry. And there is a healthy anger, and there's a way of manifesting your anger. He doesn't become violent. He doesn't punch anyone out. He doesn't give anyone the slap on the back that might cause them to stumble. Um, so he is, I think the key word here is ma'od, is that this exercises Moses more than most other things. Okay. This so is, me, I, I'm going to just, for the sake of time, he goes into this this lovely, this beautiful uh, monologue. Lo chamor echad mehem nasati. I didn't take one ass. Lo hareoti mehem. I didn't wrong anybody. Okay, Jeremy, react to that. But by the way, I just want to point out that the yeah. haftarah typically for this passage involves Samuel. When when the people want a king, Saul they want to have King Saul, and and uh, Samuel's feeling similarly judged, and God says, you know, it's not. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And Samuel gives a very closely aligned speech. I didn't steal anything from you. There's a sort of an assumption that um, <laughs> that uh, uh, we expect political leaders to be kind of self-interested and greedy, right? <laughs> um, the, the previous president of the United States uh, may have sort of like, uh, you know, I'm a great businessman. I, I made a lot of money for myself. That's why you should have, like, you, well, you, you trust the guy to not, you know, be self-interested. Moses says, the typical thing that you expect, the bad thing that you expect from a leader, I haven't done it all. I have I have not um, taken your property. I have not enriched myself. Wow. Okay, so fast forward. The, the, they're set up for for this, uh, this face-off. Um, God says to Moshe and Aaron, he badlumito chayda, Separate yourselves from them. I'm going to uh, destroy them. And Moses and Aaron fall on their faces. God, the God of the universe, God of all the winds, all the for all humanity. You gotta, you gotta give it to them. 
Moshe and Aaron. Is, are, is one person going to sin and God going to take it out on everybody? I, that's audacious. That's remarkable, right? Well, it, it reminds us of the the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, because this is the same argument that Avraham makes. Will you destroy the evil, the innocent with the wicked? And of course, you know, God makes clear to Avraham in that story that he's just going to destroy the wicked. Right. And I think that, you know, part of the, the storyline here is that evil has to be vanquished. It can't be allowed to percolate within a society because ultimately it will destroy it from within. But, this, but, but for this reason, this is like the golden calf episode. Um, it, it is like Stone Bamora, but it is also like the Golden Camp episode when God says, um, uh, I'm going to wipe them out and start again with you, Moshe. And Moshe says, this is not about me. This is about them. This is about the, the collective of Israel. And you do have to deal, God, with, with the, uh, um, the, the, the evildoers. But you can't wipe out the community because this is what this was all about. So in the, in the Golden Calf episode, the vibe seems there's a little more developed story, and the vibe seems to be that God is like, you know, inviting Moshe to argue back. So if we can read this episode through that episode, that it sounds like, okay, that's it. I'm gonna kill him. And Moses and Aaron say, no, 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 don't kill them all, don't kill them all. Let's just keep it together. We still got a plan, we still got a mission. Um, but you're gonna have to punish the ones who are themselves guilty. Okay, so almost as if the earth is reacting on cue. Moses says the earth is going to, you know, this is going to be the demonstration. The earth will open up its mouth and swallow you. And in fact, the earth <laughs> opens up its mouth and swallows them. And then a fire comes out and consumes the 250. Um, and, and, and let's, I mean, as, as a dramatic uh, and explosive that moment is, let's go to the kind of epigram, uh, the, 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 you know, the postscript, which is God says to Moses, Emor el Elazar ben Aaron Kohen. Tell Elazar, who's Aaron's son, take the fire pans. The, these are bronze fire pans. And take the fire or, you know, whatever's left of them because they're holy. And then what, what basically he says is you got to plate them onto the altar. Zikaron um, Israel as a memorial to the children of Israel. Which rings on our bell, Ish Zar. Ish Zar is a, 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 a foreign person or, or the wrong kind of person is not allowed to come to close to the holy precincts. Asher lo Aaron, someone who is not of the seed of Aaron. What do you make of, of that moment? And what do you make of the, the plating of the fire pans? And, and maybe in general, what do you make of the the fact that that the the temple or the 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 sanctuary has these kinds of relics, these reminders? I was thinking before. I was thinking like, okay, so you know, as a kind of Bible quiz question, what are the relics that are in the sanctuary that remind things of the past? So starting with the Aron Kodesh, the Aron Abrit. So you have the 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 tablets and the broken tablets. You have the jar of mud. You have this now, the plate, the bronze uh, fire pans that are plated to the walls of the Mizbech. In the next story, you, you're going to get Aaron's rod. 
which is going to be placed in the sanctuary. So, I mean, we're not big on reliquary stuff, right? Relics in Judaism. You go to some Christian cathedrals and you'll see all sorts of relics, but relics are important. And not only that, but they, they do tell a story here. So that's, that's that what you said about the, the storytelling seems to me very on point. One of the, um, one of the things that like icon loving Christians, like the, you know, Eastern Christians like icons more than Western Christians. And one of the um, explanations that icon loving Christians say is that the icons tell a story to an illiterate populace. Mm. They, they don't have a book. They do have a picture. And, so I, that strikes me as like the 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 Tzinsenet man, the Omer of man, is the particularly great one, or the, the jar, right. the, the jar of man, or the or the the Aaron's, you know, flowering staff. Um, yeah, you got stuff that you can. Okay, leave aside the question of where people could go or what you know what was what was before the Lord or what was in the public area or whatever. Um, but you have items which can tell a story, and I find that pretty. You know, <laughs> So what I would add here, though, is that the the machtot here, the the pans, are equivalent to the broken tablets. That you cannot, and this brings us back to the beginning of Sefer Breshit, the book of Genesis, where God recognizes early on, even God cannot start over. That history means something, and you cannot escape history. That, and in fact, as we saw here a little bit earlier. You cannot start over every time you make a mistake, that your past is part of who you are and you have to be mindful of it. You could change your future, and but you can't really change your past. And if you think you're going to change it, you're going to doom yourself to a future that is not going to be so glorious. You know, I just reminded, you know, yesterday or two days ago, the Colorado Avalanche won the Stanley Cup. So I was listening to the CBC and they said they were talking about the fact that they were parading the cup. It's a big, important moment. It's the greatest moment in sport, right? The most, the coveted trophy, the Holy of Holies, okay? So what do you think happened? First five minutes that the, the Colorado team is parading around with the cup, somebody drops it, okay? And they have a dent. There's a dent in the cup now, okay? So the question is, do you fix the dent? And if you fix the dent, can you make it like there's no dent there? Or do you keep the dent in the cup because the, the cup is full of dents, you know? <laughs> is, is there actually one Stanley Cup? It's not? There are two Stanley Cups. There's, but, you know, uh, when, when, but the, the, the real cup gets given to the, to the team. And then when the real cup is given, I think, you know, somebody will watch this and correct me on this. The, the the other cup is in the hall of the hockey hall of fame in Toronto. I've seen it. I've I've taken but, a picture so, of it. So the teams get to keep it for a year and then pass it to somebody else. Not a not a whole year, but but every member of the team gets to have the cup one day. And there's a special employee of the National Hockey League that's the cup minder. He goes around. He's like the showmare of Stanley Cup. He, <laughs> he, oh, Stanley to you, Elliot. He, he goes. He is the guy. That that's you know brings it in like a big suitcase, okay, and he parks himself out of your outside, and all the players get to make barbecues and pour champagne in it, and that's the tradition. The tradition is that every player on the team gets to have one day 
with the cup. And, and of course, legends have, have arisen as to what they have done with the cup. So if a Jewish guy <laughs> won the cup and he wanted to have barbecues and, and drink champagne, he'd have to kosher it first. He'd have so to kosher the cup. That's right. He can make kiddush out of it. <laughs> but the point is, back to, you know, the things become holy, right? And and I can't, you know, obviously there are lots of different examples, but this is, a, it's an iconic moment. And of course, they, you know, the, the, the thing that makes it holy is that, holy, in quotes, is that, you know, every every team that's ever won the cup has 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 their names of all of their players engraved on the cup, right? And and that you know you look at the cup and you see all these great players on it. That that's what makes it you know special. You know, this is just a first of all, this is fascinating. Obviously, it's got to mean that they add lower levels. Maybe they, they do, and they replace them, etc. Yeah, yeah. But but the um, the inscription of names, and, and like every culture, in this case, we can call, you know, you, you as a Canadian, and I, I don't know anything about hockey, I've never, uh, my, my sports love, my love of sports is just kind of like saturated with... Think of ballet and murder. That's hockey. <laughs> um, and it's got to be weird, by the way, for a Tampa Bay team, like what? What? That's not a hockey team, whatever. But no, uh, no. It, it, once, once the Montreal Canadiens are out, though, there's no interest in. It. But or, uh, sorry, but David Wise, Toronto Maple Leafs. Last Cup '67, but um, but every culture has uh, items, objects, whatever that, that they invest with their specialness and their tradition, and and so you know we have some of these things. I love what Barry said about. The, the history of breakage, the history of wreckage and mistakes, nice, also yeah. finding their way into the sacred. Absolutely. I think that's that's amazing, and uh, and that's religious maturity. If you if you just say, oh, all of our people were perfect, and nobody ever sinned, and uh, and there's never any dents in the cup, and nobody ever worshipped the golden. You cow. know, okay, we're we're, 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 we're a couple so, of minutes over, but but we say, you know, we're talking to the Ramah Ramah group also, in addition to our 200 loyal loyal viewers and and listeners. So there are some important relics at Machanerama the Berkshire. I'm thinking of, you know, the um the Adir Kavodo, you know, the the the, the, the toilet seat? The toilet seat. <laughs> Which has a place in the Khanarokal, you know. <laughs> when I when I uh when I drove Shia up the other day, you know, you know, in the in the in the big ulam in the gym, there's the different Yonsport paintings. Like That's that. what I mean, yeah, the the plaques. And, the plaques, but also the paintings that the kids paintings, have done. Right, 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 right. Um, and there's more that I hadn't seen before, and I and I thought that that's a that's a kind of a, um, a historical thing that absolutely, absolutely. Uh, All right. So I, one last, last word. So there's a great saying of uh, Reb Nachman of Braslov that there is nothing so whole as a broken heart, and this brings us back to the beginning of our conversation because what we're looking for is not unanimity, but community. There is unity in community, but not unanimity. Yeah. And the reason why we have at the at this juncture the the machtot as part of the the mishkan is because that too is part of who we are. And we cannot, you know, we're not looking for perfection. We're looking for life as it is lived, for good and for bad. Amen. What a great way to end! And we want to thank all of our viewers, all of our listeners. Big shout out again. Have a wonderful Shabbat, everyone, and we'll enjoy seeing and talking to you again on the next edition of Parsha Talk. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.
ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה 102.3 מה אישים? קיץ באוויר. רדיו כל רמה 102.3 FM 